Welcome to this Asia Global podcast, brought to you by the Asia Global Institute at the University of Hong Kong. I'm your host, Alejandro Reyes, the Institute's Director of Knowledge Dissemination. In our programs here in Hong Kong and online, and in the content that we produce, we focus on presenting Asian perspectives on global issues. Each week, we publish Asia Global Online, a digital journal on global issues. We also release Asia Global Papers, policy research by leading academics and specialists in Asian and global affairs. We regularly convene a Global Thinkers Speakers Series and an annual Asia Global Dialogue, a gathering of business, government, academic, and civil society leaders. Finally, we have the Asia Global Fellows Program that brings to Hong Kong mid-career professionals and policy experts, emerging leaders from across the world for three months of interaction and experiential learning about the region. Follow the Asia Global Institute on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and visit the Asia Global Institute website to sign up and receive our news and information, including the weekly Asia Global Online Journal. This podcast is part of our Meet the Author series, where we have a conversation with contributors to Asia Global Online and other publications of the Institute. Joining me now from France is Stuart Harbinson, a fellow here at the Asia Global Institute and also at the European Center for International Political Economy in Brussels. Stuart represented Hong Kong at the World Trade Organization, the WTO, from 1994 to 2002. He has also served as Chief of Staff and later Special Advisor to the Director General of the WTO. In his article in Asia Global Online, Stuart discusses Hong Kong's special trading status with the United States and what is at stake given Washington's threats to end this status. A reaction to Beijing's recent move to implement a national security law in Hong Kong. That action prompted the US Secretary of State to certify that Hong Kong no longer enjoyed autonomy under the one country, two systems framework in place since Hong Kong reverted to Chinese sovereignty in 1997. Subsequently, US President Donald Trump has issued an executive order implementing this move. Stewart argues that the US threats seem exaggerated, given that the US extends little in the way of preferential treatment to Hong Kong. But he warns that the stakes are high. If this dispute between the US and China is mishandled, with Hong Kong caught in the middle, it could lead to questions about the special administrative region's continued existence as a separate customs entity and major international trading hub and financial center. Thank you very much, Alejandro. It's very good to, to be here. Yes, thank you. Now, um, we won't go into the article. I, I encourage our viewers to uh, go link to it and, and read it. Um, I think many people around the world might be surprised to know uh, that Hong Kong 
is a member of the World Trade Organization in its own right. I'm wondering if you could get into that, given the fact that Hong Kong is part of China, a special administrative region of China. Uh, how, how is it that Hong Kong is a full member in its own right of the WTO? Well, during the uh, negotiations uh, between the UK and China uh, on the joint declaration on the, on the future of, of Hong Kong, the issue came up of uh, Hong Kong's uh, separate customs territory. And the UK and China agreed that uh, Hong Kong could stand on its own in the World Trade Organization which is an interesting organization because its membership is not limited to states, but also uh, can cover separate customs territories. So in 1986, uh, the UK certified to the, to the GATT as it was in those days, because the WTO was not yet in existence, that Hong Kong had autonomy in the conduct of its external commercial relations. And at the same time, China made a unilateral uh, declaration to the GATT that in 1997, it would resume sovereignty over Hong Kong, but that Hong Kong could continue to be a separate uh, member of the GATT uh, and would continue to have uh, autonomy in the conduct of its external commercial relations. So it was in 1986 that Hong Kong emerged as a separate contracting party to the GATT. And following the negotiations of the Uruguay Round, Hong Kong subsequently became a founding member of the World Trade Organization uh, on the 1st of January, 1995. Interesting. And then, of course, uh, we had the handover and uh in 1997 and Hong Kong became part of China. Now, um, if we're sort of fast forwarding to recent events, we've seen the protests in Hong Kong, which uh, have led to friction between the United States and China, the United States sort of supporting uh, the protesters. And, and more recently with the decision by uh, Beijing to implement a national security law for Hong Kong. That sort of raised the temperature in the uh, friction between uh, the United States and China. And uh, President Donald Trump has threatened to end Hong Kong's so-called special trading status. Um, now, in your article, you, you, you say that you argue that this um, threat seems exaggerated. And given that the US extends little in the way of preferential treatment to Hong Kong. But the stakes are high, you warn, because if mishandled, this dispute could call into question the Chinese special administrative region's continued existence as a separate customs entity and international trading hub. Can you get a little bit more into that in terms of what are the risks? Because as you point out, in terms of preferential treatment, treatment for products that might be very little involved here. But this could seep into things like services and financial services in particular. Well, I, I would draw a, a distinction between uh, the way the US might uh, look at Hong Kong from the point of view of its domestic laws and the way Hong Kong uh, 
is uh, a member of the World Trade Organization on the international stage. From a domestic US perspective, they may think that um, they can treat Hong Kong as they wish. And in that sense, the relationship is preferential from their point of view. But on the international stage, uh, the United States has many obligations to Hong Kong, as Hong Kong does to the United States. In particular, the United States must treat Hong Kong as it does all other WTO members. And as you well know, Al, uh, discrimination is one of the areas that the Hong Kong, that the World Trade Organization uh, does not like. So that if the United States were to take uh, unilateral discriminatory action against Hong Kong, Hong Kong would have recourse to uh, the World Trade Organization to complain about that. Yes. And indeed, you suggest that this may be uh, something that Hong Kong should do, if only to protect its special uh, status as a member in its own right of the WTO. That's right. Uh, my concern really is that um, if the United States were to take unilateral discriminatory action against Hong Kong, that if Hong Kong did not stand up to that, then it could be the start of a slippery slope. And there could be some other countries around the world. I'm not going to name uh, names, but there could be other countries looking on and saying, well, if the United States doesn't treat Hong Kong separately from China on the trade side, then why should we? Uh, particularly since Hong Kong does not seem to object to being treated in the same way as the mainland. So my point is that uh, to, to prevent such a slippery slope uh, beginning that Hong Kong would need to stand firm at the outset. Now, I'm wondering if you might have some thoughts given that we've seen the protests, we've seen the um, concern of business community, we've seen now, of course, the, uh, this national security law that's coming up that uh, Beijing wants to implement here in Hong Kong. Um, there's talk about uh, possible, in the United States, there's talk about possible uh, sanctions even with uh, against banks that might be seen as uh, aiding or betting the um, mainland's um, approach uh, towards the protesters. Um, do you see the geopolitics that that's heating up, as it were, this U.S.-China uh, strategic competition as possibly imperiling Hong Kong's position as an international financial center? as a major trading hub in the world. What are your concerns? Well, that, that risk uh, is certainly there. Uh, my concern is to point out that although uh, the United States, for example, Secretary of State Pompeo might say that uh, Hong Kong has lost its autonomy uh, and seems to be merging into the mainland, you might say that, but I need to point out that on the side of trade, including trade in services and financial services, that in fact, Hong Kong's separation remains very much in place. No one can say that Hong Kong's trade policy, including in relation to trade in services, 
is the same as China's. The economies are completely uh, of a different nature and quite rightly, uh, they diverge in a regulatory sense. So uh, I think this argument needs to be at least heard so that people understand that there is, there is a difference. Um, having said that, the, the risk is there. I hope that the US will take into account the fact that uh, Hong Kong has an open trade policy, including fairly open in services, uh, and we'll see that it's in their interests to maintain that separation. Now, um, let's move on to a more uh, to the WTO, uh, because you're very familiar, uh, ha having a lot of experience uh, working um, at the WTO in particular, and representing Hong Kong, but also uh, as a special advisor to the Director General of the WTO. Um, we're at a moment where there's a lot of um, discussion about reform in the WTO. And we've also entered a period where the current director general is uh, soon to step down, I believe in August, and that there now is uh, now a process in place uh, for replacing the director general at a time where um, really the, there are a lot of stresses on the global trading system. Um, I'm wondering if you give us a, a, an update, if you will, on the reform process in the WTO um, and also the director general process. How does that work? Because it's always been kind of fraught with uh, some difficulties or geopolitical difficulties, if you will. Well, I think it would be fair to say that uh, many members of the WTO uh, not just the United States, have for some time thought that the WTO is not operating as well as it should. In particular, it has been behind the curve in terms of developing modern uh, rules which relate to international trade, which are relevant to modern commercial practices in areas, for example, such as digital trade. So the, the, the WTO has not made as much concrete progress as it needs to. Uh, similarly, uh, on the side of dispute settlement, the United States has a lot of complaints about the way the WTO's appellate body has been hearing cases. And I think quite a few members have some sympathy with the US in that regard. The problem is that the US uh, has uh, the methods that they have used have been perhaps rather more uh, uh, precipitate than uh, a number of the members would, would like. But nevertheless, a process of reform is under discussion. Uh, and I would like to point out that in general terms, Hong Kong supports many of the uh, issues that have been raid, raised by the United States in terms of its complaints against the WTO, although Hong Kong, uh, I think, would not agree with the methods being used. So that process is ongoing uh, and was certainly uh, the topic of the day when the pandemic struck, which has rather put a break on, on all operations of yes. international organizations. So it's sort of on hold, as it were, for the time being. 
At this point, uh, the Director General, uh, Roberto Azevedo, who's done a, a, a great job over the last six or seven years, decided to throw in the towel for, for his own reasons. Uh, we don't know quite uh, all of the reasons behind that. So uh, the membership has now launched on a, a search to find a new Director General, uh, hopefully in time for September, which is when the, the post will become vacant, although uh, the track record in this respect is, is patchy and sometimes they, they take uh, longer to sort it out. The uh, question really is, uh, what sort of a person do we need as Director General right now? Uh, some people think that we need a higher profile political figure who will be able to um, have some uh, sway on the international stage, be able to talk to presidents and prime ministers and, and sort things out. Others feel that this could actually make things worse in the sense that it's quite hard to see a director general of the WTO, whoever that might be, being able to handle the US-China trade war, for example, where major bilateral issues are at stake. So some people think that it would be better for the WTO to keep a, a lower profile right now and to uh, develop a track record of competence in what it does do, uh, i.e. administering the current network of WTO agreements efficiently and getting some actual results from negotiations uh, over the short to medium term. So there are two schools of thought out there, out there at present. I think it would be fair to say objectively that the balance of opinion is that the WTO needs to raise its profile right now. So they may go for a more political figure, but we shall, we shall have to wait and see. Now, um, this is a, 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 with reference to many other um, international institutions, there's usually some kind of geographical factor or some kind of rotation, as it were, or certain uh, regions or countries have a hold on who leads which organization. What's the tradition in the, within the WTO, and do you see that tradition as continuing? Well, the, um, the procedures that uh, are set out for the selection of the Director General uh, say that um, the best candidate should be chosen. Uh, and it's only when you might have uh, two more or less equal candidates that the question of regional representation uh, might come into the equation. Having said that, uh, we've had director generals from Europe, uh, from Asia, from New Zealand, and from Brazil. Uh, and a lot of people feel that uh, it's about time that Africa got into the, into the mix. Uh, so um, there's, a, there's a, a feeling out there that if Africa can unite around a really good candidate, that they may have a very good chance of having that person selected. But uh, we wait to see how things pan out. Now, um, two more questions. One. The Doha round, which of course everybody used to talk about, and, and it seems to have been abandoned, any hope of, of concluding it. Is, is that fair to say uh, that people have given up or is there still a potential for this uh, development agenda uh, to, to, to be 
concluded sometime in the in the in the future yes that's a very uh, very good question uh, alejandro uh, i think it's fair to say that most people have given up on the doha round as a round however uh, i think it's also fair to say that many of the subjects that were included in the doha round remain extremely important and are the subject of ongoing negotiations for example there are very active negotiations going on uh, on the subject of agriculture which is perhaps not hong kong's top priority but is really important to uh, a lot of countries uh, there are negotiations on services trade in services which unfortunately have never uh, been able to achieve the traction that they should have given their importance in the world economy, but that remains on the table. Uh, and there are several other areas included in the Doha round, which are, remain highly relevant and important uh, for the future of uh, international commerce. So uh, although the round as a round may uh, have receded into history, uh, the subjects or many of the component parts of the round are still under negotiation. And indeed, I think the trade facilitation agreement of a few years ago was one such agreement that was in somehow you know, uh, well overlooked by a lot of people, I think. That's right. I mean, that was a very important um, milestone. And, you know, progress has been made, for example, in relation to uh, some rules on agricultural um, export restrictions and export competition and that sort of thing uh, over, over the years. Uh, there was a very important agreement reached on uh, information technolo technology, which uh, removed or eliminated a lot of um, tariffs on IT products. So, you know, there have been little steps forward uh, and some of the components have been dealt with, but the great majority are, are still out there. One last question, Stuart. Um, we've seen regional agreements, uh, particularly, say, the CPTPP. We've seen Canada's agreement uh, with the EU. There's uh, the CUSMA, the NAFTA 2.0, if you will. And we, there's negotiation for RCEP uh, going on in this part of the world. Uh, is that where the action really is? And these sort of regional plurilateral agreements uh, and can they replace a multilateral uh, framework? Well, I see these uh, agreements as uh, largely complementary to the WTO. I don't think that uh, a patchwork of preferential trade agreements uh, like this uh, can replace the WTO with its, with it, with its global uh, rules-based uh, system. So uh, I think it can't replace the WTO, but what I see is that these agreements could be building blocks. So if a country is a member of uh, a number of plurilateral or preferential trade agreements, uh, regional trade agreements, uh, which might include CPTPP, USMCA, uh, RCEP as well, then there will come a point when the penny drops for that country, well, you know, 90% of my trade is on a free trade basis. So 
So why don't we just multilateralize it and treat everybody the same? Uh, so I think, uh, I hope that in the, in the medium to long term, these will be beneficial moves. And in fact, also the CPTPP in particular is setting benchmarks uh, for global rules. And the participants in the CPP, CPTPP draw upon that agreement in terms of bringing their proposals forward in the WTO. And we're seeing that in negotiations in the WTO on areas such as e-commerce and digital trade, for example. So these are, these are building blocks, which I hope will lead to a stronger uh, multilateral trading system in the future. So there's some positive uh, views there, some a positive perspective that we should uh, think about, at least those who want to strengthen the multilateral trading system. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I do remain positive. I think if the WTO wasn't there, we would have to invent it. So, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it will all come together, but, you know, these things take time. Sometimes the WTO moves ahead, sometimes they move ahead regionally, but in the end, they all need to come together. And I think uh, taking a positive view that that, that that will happen. Thank you very much, Stuart. Really appreciate your time. May I encourage our readers to link to Stuart's article on Asia Global Online and to subscribe to the Asia Global Institute and Asia Global Online for insights Asian perspectives on global issues. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alejandro. It's been a pleasure.